Good morning. My name is Susan Brussner, and my family and I have been blessed to call Cross Point our home for the past 14 years. Um, and today, uh, we're going to read today's scripture is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22 in the CSB translation. Let's hear God's word. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow Christians with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building, being put together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, we want to look at how would you define the church? As you see, probably up on the graphic, we would define, many of us would define the church by a building, wouldn't we? Right? That's where we go or we do church. We've made it a practice in our family to be careful when someone says, when are we going to church? Because it's really not an accurate statement. Right? We would never hope that this would happen, but if a tornado was to come sweeping through and to take this building down and we didn't have a place to gather, does the church still exist? Yes, it does. Because we are the church. The church is not confined to a building. The church is not confined to activity. In fact, the quote that's going to be up on the screen by Jeff Vanderstelt, says many people define the church primarily by what she does, not who she is. And unfortunately, this leads to an understanding of the church that defines her not by God's work, but by man's work, leading to a view that man builds the church instead of Jesus. With this understanding, anybody who simply implements the form or activities of church can call what they do the church of Jesus Christ. This quote-unquote church based upon the works of man and not church based upon the works of Jesus Christ. Jesus said that he would build his church, not us. This sometimes stems from a man-centered gospel. It's my decision, my work that saves me. Or it can lead to a man-centered church where it is all about what we do that defines us, not what Jesus has done. I think that's a very important quote for us to understand. Why does Crosspoint exist? Why are we here? What is our role? What is our purpose? And so we must remember that our gospel identity in Christ must define what the church really is. We must remember that we are who we are because of what Jesus has done and is doing. And our being comes out of his doing and our doing proceeds from our being in Jesus Christ. There's a little illustration up here. If you see, next one. Okay, the top one, our doing. If our doing precedes our being, what does that mean for us? It means that what we're trying to do is we're trying to earn our way. We're trying to, we're trying to exalt ourselves, and that's what gives us our identity. It's what I do, and therefore this is what I am. Let me illustrate it, right? Oftentimes, when we meet somebody new, what is the first question we ask them? 
What do you do? Right? What do you do? Like somehow that is what defines them as a person. Right? If you ever met someone new and you, and you, and, and you said to them, hey, uh, tell me how has Jesus been good news to you this week? Right? But we define ourselves by what we do when in reality, the bottom illustration is that God's being impacts his doing, his character, who God is, impacts what he has done, therefore impacts who I am, and therefore who God is and what God has done impacts who I am, therefore it impacts what I should do. Vanderstelt goes on to say this, the flip side of people identifying the church by our doing is you get some people that, he's, as he says, mainly define the church by what God has done, not also what he has saved her to be and what he has saved her to do. In this case, the church is a confessional people, primarily, but not an obedient people who do what God commands and displays what God is like. So what he's saying is, is you get some people that define church by what it's doing, but then you get some people on this side that it's confessional. It's like we are the church, but living our lives doesn't matter outside of these walls. Right? Confessionally, we're like, yeah, we love Jesus, we love Jesus, and then we go out and we live like the rest of the world. When he says to us, no, we are the people of God who are saved by the power of the gospel, but we are also saved for a purpose. And so we need to define the church in light of who God is and what he's done and who he's made the church to be and what he has saved the church and created her to do. So to sum it up, and I think there's a slide for this, the church is God's people, who we are, saved by God's power, by what he has done and what he is doing, and for God's purposes, which are the good works that he has created us in Jesus Christ to do. He uses a great illustration as well about the family. And he says it this way, he says, think about the church in familial terms. Do we define a family based upon what they do? I used this Wednesday night at Living 3D, right? And I used Ben Martin, one of our elders, as an example. Is the Martin family just a family because they sleep in the same house, eat together, do dishes together, and share a budget? Are they just a family because of the activity that they do? By who they are? We are a family because we have the same parents, the same last name, and belong to one another, right? So Landon and Grayson and Alana say, hey, our mom and dad, they gave birth to us by the grace of God, and therefore we have the last name Martin, so they're defined by their being or because of how they came into being. We're a family because our parents gave birth to us. They've adopted us. It's defined by origin. And what Vanderstelt goes on to say is that a healthy family would be defined in all three ways. Our parents birthed us or adopted us, so we belong to them. And we are all related and share identity so that we belong to each other. And thirdly, we do what families do together. We live life together defined by love. It's all of that. It's all of that. In all of its messiness, in all of the struggle, in all of the fight, right? 
We used to define it this way in the Wolf family, right? If you spend any time with the Wolf family, you will see, right? I love the show Everybody Loves Raymond. And yes, thank you. There's, who is that over there? Is that Mark? Yes, that's Mark, right? Everybody Loves Raymond. I can't see. I can hardly see right now, but these lights. But there's one particular episode where Deborah and Ray are going to get counseling, and Deborah finally says to the counselor, she goes, do you realize the freak show that I married into? <laughs> so if you spend any long time with the Wolf family, you'll realize the freak show that you're around. But I'll tell you this, at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, I was at a wedding last night, and we were out dancing on the floor. Yes, Pastor Dave can cut the rug, <laughs> right? I was moving. But one of the songs that came on last night brought me back to memories. Sister Sledge, 1979, theme song of the Pittsburgh Pirates. We are family, right? I've got all my sisters in me, right? Okay? That was our theme song as a family. When that song would come on, I mean, my mom, my dad, my brother, my, my two sisters, we would get in the floor and we'd be dancing around, right? Because we're the wolf family. We're family. Why? Because we have an identity. We have an origin. We have love. And when push comes to shove, doesn't mean that we don't speak the truth of uh, God's love into each other's life and, and, and call each other to a life of holiness. But I'm going to defend my family and I'm going to love my family. Even if it hurts them in love, I'm going to tell them the truth. And that's what God has called us to do. And so when we are no longer strangers and aliens, as Susan just read, but you are fellow citizens with saints and members and household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So three quick points that we want to pull out of that passage to help us understand what the church is and who the church is. Number one, the church is the people of God saved by the work of Jesus. Paul writes in here, you are no longer strangers and aliens. He's not talking about aliens in terms of what we know as a believer, where we are aliens in this world. We don't belong here. We have a greater hope that's coming, and that's our time in heaven. That's not the alien that Paul's talking about here. Strangers and foreigners and aliens, he says, is a person who comes from a foreign country who does not owe allegiance to your country, frequently of someone who does not speak one's native tongue or one who lives in a place without the right of citizenship. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God has come in, in the form of Jesus to redeem people. But if you are outside of Christ, you are not joined to him, redeemed, brought back and made right to God because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You are a foreigner and an alien. You are not in, 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 engrossed and encompassed within the family of God. The Theological Dictionary of the New Testament says that God and the world are alien to one another because of human estrangement from God. And this estrangement means hostility. Now maybe you're sitting here this morning and you aren't a follower of Jesus and you're like, well, I'm not really against God. I just don't really care. And No, the Bible describes in Ephesians chapter 2, 3, 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. You are estranged from God. The Bible says that you are an enemy of God. And so we need rescue. And that rescue, we have to go all the way back into Scripture. Now, I don't know if anybody's willing to do this, but we've been learning in Living 3D the true story. Six symbols. Is there anybody in the congregation today that would be willing to come up and within three minutes share the true story to our church family? Do I have any takers? Anyone? Everybody's smiling. I'm not going to do it. You're going to do it? I'm not going to do it. A couple more seconds. If not, I'll do it. Anybody? Anyone? Bueller? <laughs> Bueller? <laughs> Some of you guys get that reference, right? Yeah. Matt's over there like, yep, I get it. The story of God. Creation. God creates, he speaks, and everything comes into existence, and he says that everything is what? It's good. And he's walking and talking with, right, in the garden with Adam and Eve. And the relationship with God is perfect. But he tells Adam, before Eve was even created, do not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For if you do, you will surely die. Physical death, but more importantly, spiritual death. And we know the story in Genesis where Eve is in the garden and the serpent comes and tempts her and, and says, listen, did God really say? And you know the story, they eat the fruit and sin comes into the world. But God doesn't leave them there. Even though they rebel against him and they rebel against his word, God is a God of loving kindness. He's a God of mercy. And so in Genesis 3.15, he promises that a Savior is going to come, one who's going to have his heel bruised, but who's going to crush the head of the serpent. And then he goes on to, to make a covenant with Abraham and to say, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the nations. And we read the whole Old Testament. We see that God has called a people to himself, for himself, for his glory, and that whom he can display his glory through the nations to. And they say, we're going to obey, we're going to obey, but we know the story. They keep falling, they keep falling, they keep falling, they keep falling. And God, yes, he does bring judgment, but he also brings grace. And then a Savior comes. And that Savior is born as a baby. God in the flesh to come and to be the perfect sacrifice that none of the sacrifices in the Old Testament could do. And he comes and he sheds his blood. The good news of the gospel, that's what gospel means, good news. That when you and I were dead in our trespasses and our sins, that Jesus came and took that place for us and went to the cross and satisfied the wrath of God on our behalf. Don't forget that, friends. God is a loving God, but he's also a God who hates sin. And instead of putting his wrath on us, he puts his wrath on the Son so that all who put their faith and trust in the Son, Jesus, don't have to ever experience the wrath of God ever again. Isn't that great news? Thank you for the one person that that's great news for. <laughs> Folks, isn't that great news? Yes. Amen. Amen. That you and I can be brought back to God, made right with Him. Paul writes in Romans 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God, dunamis, 
dynamite for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You hear that word faith? It is the belief that Christ died to take the penalty of my sin and to suffer God's wrath in my place so that you and I have absolute, complete forgiveness. You and I have absolute, complete fellowship with our Father. All because of the Son. The same relationship that God the Father had with His Son, Jesus Christ, He has with you as His child. Isn't that great? And it's a daily ongoing belief, friends. It's not just a one-time deal. Because Paul says the righteous, those who have been made right in the eyes of God, those who are born again of the Spirit of God, those who are adopted into the family of God, that's who we are, shall live. That's what we do. It's not just a past tense. It is a present tense reality. Shall live by faith. So what is the gospel? It's a past reality. It is a present reality, and it's a future reality. Our sins have been paid for. We've been made right in the eyes of God. But the present reality, and you hear it all the time, through this pulpit, in conversations, in disciple-making, you have the power of the Spirit of God living in you today as a child, if you truly are His child, the Spirit of God lives in you. The Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you today. Paul sums it up this way in Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we had been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. The resurrection, we're going to celebrate that in the next couple of weeks, right? Easter's coming. Do you recognize the power and the importance of the resurrection? His victory over sin and death. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. That's great news, friends. So when my wife offends me today, I don't have to lose my temper. When I offend my wife today or say something that is sinful against her, she doesn't have to lose her temper. She can point me to Jesus and, and repentance can take place. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again and death no longer has dominion over Him for the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You and I, brothers and sisters, can live the life that God has empowered and called us to. In our own power? Nope. In His. So therefore, let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those 
who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are no longer under the law, but under grace. Now here's the struggle. I was having breakfast yesterday with Ben Martin, my brother. And I love it because we can go deep and we can open our hearts. And I said to Ben, the frustrating thing for me is I know in the temptation when it's there that it's wrong. And I know that it's against my God and it's, it, it, it's, it's against his glory and against his character. But in those moments, why do I run to it? Why do I do it? Because you know. Because in that moment, brothers and sisters, I'm living in unbelief. Not salvation, but I'm living in unbelief in that moment that God, you are all satisfying to me. You are all good to me. You are my treasure and you are precious to me. Now the beauty about it is, is I've got a brother that points me back to Jesus. I've also got a Holy Spirit that points me back to Jesus and says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and remind me the next time that I'm in the midst of that temptation that I don't have to run to there. I'm spinning a lot today, sorry. It's good nobody's sitting in the front row. I get fired up and everything's like... <laughs> he has to forgive us. And next time I'm faced with that temptation, it's like, Lord, I don't want that. It is so unsatisfying. You are all satisfying. But we also know that there's a future reality of the gospel. And that's what gives us hope now, friends. I was just talking with Matt, and we were just talking about um, just life and the struggles of life and sickness. And, and, you know, we deal with broken bodies and the idea that this is not where it ends, friends. We don't have to live in fear. Yes, there's a reality that we deal with humanness and brokenness, and it's not like we just run around every day going, zippity-doo-dah, zippity-day, right? There is grief. Paul says, I grieve. But I don't grieve as a person who doesn't have any hope. I grieve as someone who, yes, I feel the effects of sin. I feel the brokenness of sin. Lord, there is a, a, a what, why how? When? But there's also that place where we go, but wait a second here. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so the future reality, friends, in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 11, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Not a dead hope, not a, boy, I hope so, or Maybe, I think. No, a living hope. Why? Because Jesus is the living hope. Jesus is the one who conquered sin and death. And he promises us that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I love this. To an inheritance that's imperishable. You know when you throw the food in your garbage and it sits in there for about four days? And you wake up that morning and you go, whoa. imperishable imperishable will never spoil that's undefiled that has absolutely no sin in it no darkness in it it's perfect it's pure unfading 
My mom gave me a, a cup that I had as a little child, and you have to take it, and you have to clean it all the time because I think it's pewter. I don't know if it's pewter or not, but it, you know, it gets corroded, and it gets all dark, and you have to get the special polish, and you have to clean it all the time. That's not what heaven is. That's not what eternal life is. <coughs> Kept in heaven for you, and I love this, who by God's power is being guarded through faith. Again, here's our role. Lord, I trust you. Lord, I trust you. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I trust you, Lord, because you promised me that you're keeping it for me because you are a God who keeps covenant. You're a God who keeps promises. You're a God who loves his people. And you promise us that there's a greater hope coming. Romans 8, 18, for I do not compare the sufferings of this present time to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed to us later on. Second point is the church is the people of God who share a common identity. We're saved through the person and work of Jesus, but the other thing is we share a common identity. You're not your own anymore. See, we get into this mindset of, and I love our country, and I'm thankful for the freedom we have, I'm thankful for the people that have given their lives to protect our freedom, and, and, and we can come and we can gather. But folks, the American dream is not the end. We are so individualistic in this country. Oh, I don't need help. I don't need help. I don't need you. I can do it myself. That's not biblical. We share a common identity. How do we know this in 1 Peter 2? Peter writes, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Did you catch that? We have a common identity. Peter says you are a chosen race. You and I are adopted into the family of God. We are gospel people. And if God is our Father, that makes us, come on living 3D people, makes us family. Yes, we're children of God, but what does it mean for us sitting in the pews? You and I are family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're adopted into His family. Galatians 4, 4-7, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Romans 8, 14-17, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons. John 1, 12-13, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Ephesians 1, 5-6, He predestined us for adoption. Some of, us, some of us in this room have experienced adoption. And you know when you choose that child, 
It's not just a project. What you are saying to that child is, I am taking you into my family and I'm giving you my name and I'm giving you everything that we have as a family. I'm going to love you just as if you grew in my body and I birthed you. God does the same for us. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God adopts us and he says, Kevin Funk, you are my son. And guess what? You get the same benefits as my son Jesus gets. You're not second class. The Bible says that we are what? Co-heirs with Christ. We get everything that we need for life and godliness. He withholds nothing. We're family. And so friends, what does it mean to live as good family? Now I understand that there are probably many of us in the room, right, that have dealt with broken family life. And you're like, well, I haven't experienced good family. This side of heaven, we're all going to experience brokenness, but that's not the family of God. We're called to be a different family. We're to be a family who loves one another, who forgives one another, who provides for one another, who is long-suffering with one another, who shows loving kindness to one another, who laughs together, who cries together, who plays together, who eats together, who works together, who serves together. That's what he has called us to do, to do it not in our power, because in our earthly families, we try to do it in our power, and we can't. But Peter says you are a chosen race. And if you and I believe the power of the gospel, it means that we live as a different family. And we show the world what a true biblical family should look like. That means even in the moments where it's difficult. You know, I shared on Wednesday, or just shared on Wednesday with a woman that we worked with in our last church who we shared a lot of the, the opportunity of service with, with her and Jess got home that night and she said, I, I wish I would have shared those just some of the messy things. Like, we had to have hard conversations with her because she has this habit of living, and, and, and not a habit, she chooses to find her identity in men and so she's constantly having a live-in boyfriend. And so our church family had to sit down with her and say, look, this is not how God has designed it. God has designed it for you guys to keep yourself pure and to join together in the bonds of marriage, not living together so that it could be convenient. So yeah, discipleship is messy. Sometimes as a family, you have to sit down and have those difficult conversations. But those difficult conversations should be cloaked in grace and they should be cloaked in love. And as Jeff Vanderstelt said on Wednesday night, that we do it even if we, if, if we uh, uh, suffer rejection from that person. Someone's sharing their life with you of sin and you go, uh-huh, uh-huh, I'll pray for you. No. Point them to who they are in Christ Jesus and to repentance because repentance, right, brings joy and right relationship with God and fellowship. And it's hard. It is hard. But here's the thing. If I let my brother and sister live in sin, what I'm really saying to them is, I don't really love you. 
Actually, I probably am in a form hating you. There's a documentary called The American Gospel, and you guys know who Penn Jillette is, right? I think he's a performer. And he was talking in there about proselytizing. And this is from a, an avowed atheist. It says, if you are a Christian and you are not willing to come and share with me about Jesus, then how much do you have to hate a person to not even be willing to share your faith? That's coming from an atheist. Friends, we're family. But you know what? Peter says we're also a royal priesthood. We're servants. We're family and we're servants. You remember what the priesthood was called to do? They were called to serve the people of Israel. They were to demonstrate the character of God. They were to work on the behalf of the people by offering sacrifices as an act of faith on the behalf of the people of Israel. And they were to do this out of their own reverence and fear of God. And you remember in the temple, there was this place called the Holy of Holies where only the great high priest could go. And if he went into the Holy of Holies with irreverence, he would die. But then the great high priest came. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That great high priest, friends, is Jesus. And we know that the temple veil is torn in two. And so we can now enter the Holy of Holies without fear because we are now walking tabernacles because the presence of God dwells in us through His Spirit. Which means that you and I, brothers and sisters, are called and empowered to declare the message of salvation with the world around us. We're servants. Oh, but if I share Jesus with them, they're going to reject me. I can't do that. I've been working at uh, Eureka Junior High the last month, month and a half. They've asked me to come in and work with a student. And I, I cannot tell you, brothers and sisters, almost every day that I'm there, I have a chance to share Jesus with a student. And people could look at me and say, well, oh, if you share Jesus in public school, you're going to get fired. Fire me! I'm not saying that to be arrogant. I'm not saying that to be like, well, hey. No, I'm saying that because, look, I'm 53 years old. I don't know how much time God has me on this earth. What God has been doing in my life is, 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 is deepening my love for him and deepening my love for his church and deepening my love for lost people. I want people to know Jesus. That's what I want. And to know the love of Christ. I mean, it brings me to tears. And so if I have the opportunity to share Jesus, I'm going to share him. You're no longer welcome here. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thirdly, we're a holy nation. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, God has called us to live as a people, a holy people, not so that we can just earn brownie points, not just because that's what we have to do, but because we have been made right with God and we are indwelt with His Spirit and He's given us His power so that we can be a different people.
people who display the excellencies of Christ in how we live. And that a lost and dying world would look at you and say, man, there's something different about you. And I want to know what that's all about. I've had a kid that I've been witnessing to at Eureka, and he's like, look, look. He goes, I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist. My parents tell me there is no God. But he's been coming to me over and over and over again. And he's like, you know, I've always been told that God is a metaphor. I said, he's not. (laughs) He demonstrated it by giving us his son, Jesus. And this kid keeps coming back. But I'm hoping that my life is a demonstration of that. I'm not just giving him information, but that he knows that I love him, that I care for him. I sit down and I eat lunch with him every single day. Same with us, friends. That neighbor that drives you crazy? How about baking them a plate of cookies or making them a meal and going over and saying, hey, I just want to display what Christ has done for me in my life. And I just want to bless you with this. And begin to build that relationship and to be a missionary so that those opportunities come. Those of you guys that are involved with Living 3D know the story of Nikki. I won't go into all the details of it, but this woman who opposed Jeff Vanderstelt and his wife Janie, opposed them, couldn't stand them, and just by their um, willingness to get into the life of this woman, to serve her, to treat her as family, to love her and to serve her, to take her to doctor's appointments, to speak truth of the gospel into her life, and this woman eventually came to salvation in Christ may not happen overnight. And you may not get to a gospel presentation the very first time. It might just be building relationship, being a missionary, living different. The power of God living in and through you. The third point is that the church is the people of God created for good works. You know, we always look at Ephesians 2, 8 through Uh, 9, and we say, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And we stop there. You can't stop there. You have to go to verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Friends, we are his workmanship, created for good works, to display that to the world. We read it in 1 Peter 2, 9, but there's that line in there that says, that you are a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Brothers and sisters, we have the tremendous opportunity to declare the gospel to the world around us. We have the tremendous opportunity to display the gospel to the world around us. And you have to have both. You can't just have the, well, I'm just going to live a life that's holy and hope that someone asks me. No, we are called to declare the gospel, the past, the present, and the future reality of the gospel. But we get to do it together as a church. Like when the world is all jacked up, which we know that it is, and there's conflict, and we can't, you know, our politicians don't even get along. They can't even come to a consensus. Why? Because they're trying to do it in their own power. 
But you and I as a church get to display to the world, hey, when I'm in conflict with someone in the church, I don't just run and hide, and I don't run to other people and talk to them about the problem. Well, did you know the so-and-so? You know, man, they just really did this to me, and I'm really upset with them and all that kind of stuff, and blah, 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 blah. No, you live as gospel people, and you go to the person, and you talk to them. And you reason together over the gospel. And you humble yourself. Why? Because the King of kings and the Lord of lords left his throne of heaven, humbled himself, and died on a cross. For every one of us in this room who were enemies. One of the greatest apologetics to the world, friends, is when the church, who is full of broken people, comes together and says, we're going to love Jesus together, and we're going to love each other together, and we're going to display that to the world. Charles Spurgeon says it this way, I believe that one reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. Boy, that's powerful. Now, I'm not talking legalism. I'm not. Because, you know, I'm dancing last night to Taylor Swift. I don't like Taylor Swift. <laughs> but here's the beauty of it, right? We're with some of our old church family, and I texted them this morning, and I said, you know what's so great is we get to be a family together on the dance floor celebrating, showing the world that I don't have to shove eight beers down my throat to have a good time. People are looking at me like, are you, are you drunk? No. I'm not. Didn't have anything to drink except water. Why? Because I have joy in my Savior. And you know what? Jesus had fun. <laughs> you realize that? Jesus wasn't just this high and pious guy that walked around everywhere and was like, oh. Jesus had fun. You know why? Because he was invited to the wedding at Cana. <laughs> why did they invite him? Because he was probably fun. But it doesn't mean that I let the world come in and influence my life and fill my life with all these things that are going to dull my affections for Jesus. So what does that mean for us? First of all, in order to be part of God's church, you have to be part of the family of God first. You have to be saved. See, that's the beauty of being a part of the body at Crosspoint is, is that you're not just born into a club, you're born into a family by the grace of God. You're born into a family that's broken and you're born into a family that's continuing to grow and you're born into a family that's still trying to, 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 to work on growing together, but that's the beauty of it. We get to do it together. We get to love each other through the mess. I shared it with the Living 3D people on Wednesday. If you, any of you, any of you in this room have permission, if you see me defaming the name of Jesus and living for myself and living in sin, you have permission to come to me as your pastor or one of your pastors and to say, look, Dave, were you not believing rightly about Jesus? You have that. I want that. I invite that. Because, friends, there's a lot of people doing religious stuff that call themselves believers. And it's not about religion. Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, look what we did. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The church is not what we do. All these people are focusing on what they do. We do all these religious things, Lord. He says, look, you didn't know me. Second question I have before we sing is how are you doing at living out your gospel identity as family, as a servant, as missionaries? And I, and I want to challenge us this morning, Crosspoint. If you have offense against a brother or a sister and you're holding on to that offense, do not leave this place without going up to them and making it right. Because one of the big destructive things of the church is when we live in sin and we don't deal with it. That's not good family. And some of you know that. We sweep things under the carpet and well, time will heal all things. Time doesn't heal all things. Jesus heals all things. His blood heals all things. How can you serve this week? Be prayerful, asking the Spirit of God, show me who you want me to serve this week, Lord. Is it a neighbor? Is it, is it someone in my community group? Is it a co-worker? Is it my enemy? Show me, Spirit of God, who you want me to serve this week. Maybe it's your family. Maybe, dads, you've been working too much and too much and too much and you're finding your identity at work. Maybe you just need to take some time off and just spend time with your kids and serve them in that way. And how are you going to be a missionary this week? I challenged our living 3D people. Ask the Spirit of God to give you two or three names of people that you've been in contact with that you know are not yet believers that you want to build relationship with and that you want to be able to go and, and live life with and share the gospel with. Can I challenge you to do that? If two or three is too many, one! Lord, give me one person that you want me to be on mission to. Not a project, but who you want me to love as you loved me. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be the church and not do it. Thank you for the opportunity to sing. Change us, Lord, by your Spirit. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. May we go out this week living as godly gospel family. May we go out this week living as servants, seeking who we can serve with the love of Jesus. And may we go out this week living as missionaries together. That's the beauty about it. It's not just you. It's all of us together, praying together for those people in our community groups, serving together as people in our community groups. And if you're not part of one, get a group of people together that you're going to live on mission to together this week. 